Welcome back to Cinematrimony. I am your host, or most of him, Matt Scalisi. I've been away with some uh, health issues, but we're hoping to get back to um, some semi-regular podcasting here again. So, joining me, as always, my lovely wife, Francesca. How are you, dear? I'm good, Matt. We should, before we even talk about the movie... We should mention that tonight's podcast is brought to you yes, in part by the generous donations of one superfan, Craig Hamilton, who knew exactly exactly the production costs of one episode of Cinematrimony <laughs> and incredibly gave us to the penny <clears throat> the exact uh, monetary needs yeah. for a Cinematrimony podcast. It's so we thank you for the, uh, we, we thank the foundation of Craig Hamilton yeah, this is our first sponsored podcast ever. Yeah, yeah. So it definitely, I mean, if you want to ensure that your name is heard by at least four other people, send us cash money and it will get mentioned. Yes, that's right. So well, pretty impressive stuff. <laughs> well, hey, thank you, Craig. So today we are uh, we're going to be talking about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Which uh, I think you can go back and listen to the podcast that we did on part one. Frankly, I needed to because as they were like having little flashback moments and referring to first half stuff, I really I don't remember anything about the first film. There, I don't remember the way the first film ended necessarily, um, other than the, because of the fact that I've read the book and I know what happens. But um, yeah, there's no way you would be totally lost if you... If you jumped into, I mean, this movie doesn't work on its own. It's definitely has to be watched with part one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you get jumped right into the middle of it and there's, like, there is no uh, exposition. And there's really, I'll, I'll say this for, for this movie. The, the one negative that I have about it, or one of the negatives I have about it is, it's pretty relentless, and I know there's a lot of plot they have to get through, but, like, there really is no levity at all in this movie. Like, there are no... That's kind of one of the things I look forward to in, in these Harry Potter movies is there's always these moments. There's a few good laughs, and there's some moments of levity, and you don't... There is none of that in this movie. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. Oh, really? And here's... And, of course, you know that I am a book... Devotee. Yeah, I, I know. love the books, but here's the thing. I mean, you know my position on that. Well, and here's my problem with it is that the things that they changed from the book, I all think were to the detriment of the movie. Most especially the death scene between Harry and Voldemort in the book. That I all thought transpires. that was pretty accurate. No, it transpires in the Great Hall with like everyone who's fighting in attendance. Oh, you mean Voldemort dying? Yes, but not Harry dying. No, no, that was fine. That, that was, was exactly as it was in the book. Yeah, although I think, I, I think there was a lot more substance to the King's Cross Station in the book. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But no, Harry and Voldemort actually like facing off, and eventually Voldemort being defeated. It it worked very well in the book. I mean, this is the thing. All of these, there was there was I had only one minor, minor, minor gripe with the book. Otherwise, the book to me always 
I mean, like, the action was great in the book. I thought everything wrapped up and was very satisfying. You know, all of the... I mean, like, she is a very economical writer in as much as, like, if you go back through the whole series, like, Rowena Ravenclaw, that whole thing, like, she gives you a very satisfying, like, to what was always just kind of a throwaway thing throughout the books. It becomes actually a substantive thing, which, of course, in the movie it wasn't at all. They don't give you any kind of story about that witch particularly, but that's, you know, explained in the books, you know, that the bloody bear, well, whatever, it's about to be very nerdy, so I'm not going to talk about it, but I think yeah, that it's scene, ghost, the ghost to lore. me, like, that really, they, that, that was really a missed opportunity, because in the book, it makes a lot of sense for there to be a lot of witnesses, and sort of like, all the rest of the fighting has died down, and it's just Harry and Voldemort, and there's everyone in attendance, and actually, I think she also wrote in, there is a moment where Harry says, you know, like, you don't have to do this, like, he gives him one last chance mm-hmm. to not be a horrible, you know, soulless being. And, you know, that got taken out. And also, in that same, in the movie, they intercut it with the whole killing the snake thing, which yeah, was, which... I thought, not effective at all. Like, I thought it was so much better in the book that it... Yeah. In the book, it comes out of when... In the movie, they gave Neville, like, his speech, which I don't think he really had a speech. In the book, it was just he got the knife and sliced off the head yeah, of Yeah, the... Neville gets deprived of a big moment in well, the movie. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate that they gave him that, like, touching moment to talk about Harry. But, like, in the book, action-wise, it's actually much more effective. They bring out the, quote-unquote, dead Harry, and, you know, Voldemort's kind of, like, laughing in all their faces, and, like, look, I killed him. And Neville kind of out of nowhere, like, busts out the the sword and kills the snake. And that's when Harry, you know, disappears is how it works. He, like, has on... He throws on his invisibility cloak, and everything goes nuts. But, like... It's sort of an impetus for the last leg of the action is that Neville has this, like, hugely heroic moment. And they, I think they were trying to, uh, it just didn't work for me in the movie to intercut it with, because then it also took the teeth out of Harry and Voldemort's face off to me a little bit to make it, like, seem like it was equally as important as killing the snake, you know? Right. That didn't work. And the other thing that really, there was a few things that they changed that really bugged me, but, and I knew they were going to have to change it because they hadn't followed up in the movies correctly but ron and hermione's big kiss was a completely fabricated scene that actually happened off that they show up and they've ruined they've you know wrecked the horcrux that doesn't happen in in the book they don't that's not a scene that you play out they just handle that and in the movie it really was an extraneous scene it didn't need to be there because nothing really did happen it was enough that it was destroyed it was more the getting it that was the point of that one and then, of course, they kiss because Ron says something sympathetic about the house elves, which, of course, has been a whole yes, theme throughout. Yes, but that is not to the detriment of the movie that they eliminated the house elves. Because no, that is and I'm saying, I do understand line. that that is, but I wish they had given, because it was sort of like, in the book, it's such a, like, stand up and cheer moment because it's like, oh, Ron finally, like, like she's moved to kiss him because he cares about something. Right. He's always kind of like, he cares about the little man and it's something she always really cared about. And it was just like a nice moment for their two characters for that would be the impetus for them to kiss. Instead it was like, Oh, there was a big wave and the wave's gone. Let's kiss. Like it just wasn't. Let's, let's talk about some of the moments that did work really well though, because I, I thought either Fred or the other one, the one the, the when the twin dies, I thought that was really effective because I was looking, I was watching out for that scene, and I thought the way they did that, I thought it was really well acted by everybody, and I thought it was a really effective moment. Well, 
here again, though, again, I mean, I, I'm not going to love this. I'm not going to ever love this movie because I think the book was so perfectly done. I mean, all these kind of throwaway things in the movie were given such context and depth. That's and not still, a throwaway in the movie. That's a significant moment. No, it's they're weeping over him. But when he actually is killed is like, you know, a part of the movie, a part of the book. You're actually reading when he gets killed and, then right. you know, weeping over him. I mean, I will say. I I didn't cry nearly as much as I thought I would. I cried when the Weasleys are all weeping over the the lost twin, and that was my maternal instinct kicking in. And of course, Julie Water, Walters is that her name? I think so. I love her desperately, and she's of course just yeah. She wonderful. gets her moment where she pones. Helena yeah, Bottom but Park. again, in but, the book, that's so much more rewarding because like it sort of felt like it was plugged in because everybody's looking for that line, right? You know, but like it didn't it didn't flow with the I just. I mean, it's not. It's rare that you would go to a film but I and just say think the it, action was actually better in the book. I, I just think. think it had. I think it hit. I think you. There was nothing that you weren't expecting in it. But, well, because no. you were so familiar with the book that nothing surprised you like it did when you read the book, and it wasn't uh, a thrilling experience for you because you knew everything that was going to happen. Yeah, but. I will say that... Kind of proving Ben Flanagan's point that you ruin a movie for yourself by reading a book. Yeah, but he's ruined the best books that he could have ever read. No, he hasn't ruined the books. By seeing all the movies. He'll get... He'll get... If if he ever decides to read the books, it will enrich his experience of having watched the movies, just like it did for me. Well... But I would say that I enjoyed this movie less than I did the movies that I hadn't read the books first. Well, and I'm going to tell you this, too, though. I think I probably actually liked part one better as a film than I this one. I probably did too. Because, again, though, this is me going in with having read the books, but the first half of this book is really, really very difficult. Like, it's probably the least enjoyable experience of any of the Harry Potter series. And it's by design. It's supposed to be because, you know, what's happening is for, you know, like, gosh, 70% of the book or something. They don't have any leads and they're getting frustrated. Right. And of course... They kind of took out all of the Dumbledore elements, like his backstory, but that's a big part of, you know, what unfolds in the first half of the book. So I feel like the first half of the uh, movie, you know, the part one half was actually, that's where it helped to have a filmmaker, you know, inject some of himself into it because otherwise it really would have been very, very dry and difficult. But I, oh, but now here's something. Okay. I have two other point, two other bones to pick. First of all, the, I'm I'm totally happy to see Minerva McGonagall, you know, kick ass and take names, but they really robbed the scene, like her great scene and her like Harry and Minerva acknowledging each other scene in the book again is so well done. I thought it was good in the movie. No, I, but it wasn't as good because in the book, of course, you know, the two it it's just, somebody spits in her face, and that's the only time I believe in the whole series that Harry performs an uh, unforgivable curse on someone. And it's, like, a very, like, touching moment because, you know, it's his house mistress and, like, how dare you? And he gets, like, yeah. so, and, and I think he was actually under his invisibility cloak at the moment and is, like, you know, trying to hide himself and is, like, moved to action and reveals himself because he can't believe someone disrespected her like that. Yeah. And I feel like they kind of underplayed it with just kind of the cute, like, she's like, how are you, Harry, or whatever, you know, not, or, like, it's good to see you or something. And it was, like, to me, much more effective in the books that he really, like, lashes out that someone would dare disrespect her whatever that's that but no what was the other thing i was thinking think 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 i don't know that they changed that was upsetting to me i can't remember 
I will say one thing that they added that I did appreciate was that Neville was like, I'm hot for Luna. The only reason, now I didn't see Neville and Luna ever getting together, but it bothered me in the book that your epilogue did not have anything about Luna because she had become sort of a major character in the books. And that was like the only thing that I was like, JK, you totally dropped the ball. So like in the movie, it made me go like, okay, well, she, you know, she is complicit in the screenplays and maybe that was her way of like rectifying that. Although in the book to me, again, this is for the nerds out there in the book, Luna, when they kind of like hook up with Luna and the goblin and the wand maker, Dean, I believe, is also there. One of their housemates. I can't right. remember if it was Dean or Seamus. I'm pretty sure it was Dean. Yeah. And they kind of, he kind of <coughs> goes through a little transformation where he starts to, like, really appreciate Luna instead of just thinking she's weird. So, to me, yeah. it always would have made sense that, like, Luna and Dean got together. But, whatever. That is neither here nor there. All right. But that is the one thing they injected that I was kind of like, I appreciate that because I think Luna got the short end of the deal in the books. Well, all of your complaints are... That it's not more like I know, but it's but I'm saying having something to compare it to. I know that the book is so much better. My theory always is I don't really care if it's like a book or not. But I'm saying they had the source material to make it better. Like I think the scenes were not better. Sometimes, like visually, you know, sometimes visually you understand these things, but I think in most of those cases, maybe not the Minerva thing, but certainly the grand finales. I think visually, they shortchanged themselves. To me, here's here's like a good standard to set for emotional moments in a in an absurd movie in like a fantasy movie is lord of the rings because to me all the emotional moments in lord of the rings are very effective and they like even though we're talking about dragons and goblins and hobbits like the emotional moments in those movies are really effective and to me the harry potter resolution here the emotional resolutions we got in this movie were not they didn't they didn't meet that lord of the rings standard i remember what the other thing was that i was gonna say what and i don't know that there's any way that you could have done this on film in the books one of the most heart-wrenching like chapters really is after he has the snape thing which we will discuss later but i do think was well done in the film after he has the revelation about snape there is like probably a good like five or seven pages of Harry walking from Dumbledore's office to his, you know, ultimate demise, which of course yeah. we find out isn't his ultimate demise and that, and I don't know how you could convey this in film, but that bit of prose is one of the most effective and incredible things you will ever read. Well, you, a boy, a, you know, 17 year old boy choosing to go die for all the people who I have died for him it. and are fighting for him. I think you're missing it. I think it was there. I think they give him a moment with Ron and Hermione. But see, that wasn't there. I know, but that's that's what we get instead because it helps us. It gives us a moment where, inst- because we can't do internal monologue, he's conveying to us what he's about to do, the decision he's made, and, and Hermione gets it. And he walks off. And I think if you didn't, if you'd never, if you hadn't read the book, I think you would have felt satisfied with the way they did it. Okay. But I'm just saying, again, I don't, that's, I I mean, again, I think it was fine, but it was so, so effective in the book and so, so heart-wrenching. And, you know, this is why I think at the end of the day, I like books better than I like movies. Yeah, you do. Because, you know, you can get that kind of depth and, you know, beauty and poignancy that, you know, doesn't matter how good an actor is, you can't get 
when you're not able to convey an internal well, monologue. Well, and to me, you can never have as visceral an experience with a book as you can with a movie because it's That's always words saying, on a page. Actually, I really do think like the action sequence stuff was all better in the it book. It can't be. Action can never be as good in a book as it can on in a movie. I think it was better in this book than it is in this film. So there. Well. I was more excited and I had more highs and more lows reading the book than I did having watching the movie. And like I said, I just, I, I felt like, like I feel like the first part, you know, book seven, part one, I feel like what, I feel like the filmmaker infused himself better and more judiciously than in this second part. I feel like it was all sort of to the detriment of the film where the filmmaker yeah. took liberties. Well, I think the cat, <clears throat> I want to mention the cast too, because I think they, I think this was like the highlight movie for pretty much. Well, I, I think the three kids got better moments in, um, in Half Blood Prince, but I think that uh, Matthew Lewis that plays Neville, who turned out to be like a stud, what got, red carpet pictures? I'm like, what? He's like kind of a babe. I think he had his best uh, performance. I'm really. Uh, Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, the whole thing when she was every, acting like Hermione being, that was brilliant. Every movie she's been, every every one of these movies that she's been in, I think this is the best work she's ever done. This is my favorite. You haven't seen Frankenstein. This no. is my favorite thing I've ever seen Helena Bonham Carter do, is is the Harry Potter movies. I thought that was incredible. I, I genuinely, when she busted out as, you know, Hermione as Bellatrix, yeah. like, I did have a minute where I was like, wait. Is that just Hermione in makeup? Because yeah. it's kind of a long shot. Well, and, they did. And Ron was they just did in Emma makeup. Watson's voice, though. Well, yeah, but I was like, she acted that. She must have been studying her because there was like even like a way she was walking. Like yeah. I don't know if Emma Watson's like a little pigeon toed or something, but it was just like yeah. a very throwaway moment where she was walking, and I was like, she's got her walk down. What is yeah. that? And uh, and I actually think even through the makeup, I think Warwick Davis had a good performance as grip hook oh, yeah. in this movie. Well, actually he plays two characters in this movie. He plays uh Flitwick later in the movie too, but yeah. but I think the grip hook stuff is really good cuz he's a very he's a very tricky character and uh you're not right you're not totally sure like what he's up to and uh the scene where Harry's talking to him in the bedroom, that was one of the most interesting scenes in the movie where I really even though I read I had read it and I knew what happens I was just really enthralled, like with that dialogue and that back and forth between Harry. Yeah, he played and him. it in a very. Interesting it was a very good way. dramatic scene. Yeah, and he was like very underplaying. Like he was really, yeah, he was. And he used the the costume and the makeup, like he used the way he was moving his his little clawed fingers and everything. He was just. Uh, I thought he did a great job. Yeah, yeah, um, and of course, Snape. Oh, what's his name? <laughs> I shouldn't. Yeah, Alan, Alan Rickman. Rickman. Yeah, right. I mean, that again, like that is one of the. I think this that was somewhere where the film did not drop the ball. Of course, it is much richer in the book just because all of those little vignettes are much more filled out. Right. But I think that they definitely got the point across. Uh, one thing I did hate, which I should probably like pull out my book and double check, it, and it's only because I know like the deafness with which she did it. When he dies, I believe in the book he just says, look at me. And in the movie he said, look at me, you have her eyes or whatever. And no, of course, he says, in the book, take them. Because he's telling him to no, take no, his no, tears. No, 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 And then right before he dies, he says, look at me. 
And I think in the book, that's all he said was look at me. And then when you find out his backstory, you're like, oh, because everybody always says Harry has her eyes. Right. And in the movie, he actually said, like, you, you have Lily's eyes or something. Right. Like, which was kind of annoying because it was like, you know. It was, Spelled it was, out a little. It was a little ham-fisted. Well. But also, P.S., if you're going to cast a child to be Lily, don't cast a, like, black-eyed child to have the same eyes as Dana Radcliffe. Oh, I didn't notice it that. It was so, like, put her in some color contacts if you're in love with the actress, but it was, like, yeah. so clearly not his eyes. It was really frustrating I didn't, to me. I didn't notice that. Yeah. But, you know, I think that was actually, you know, again, economy of film, they had to, you know, shorten it, but I think they, they got the point across. Yeah. And, and his performance, I thought, you know, when he discovers them and is holding her and weeping, which I don't think actually happened, was very effective and made, drove home the point that he always loved her and yeah. that was actually, you know, kind of the ultimate sacrifice and... That just, that is, I mean, that is, oh, in the books, when you get that payoff, it's like, oh, God, of course he was conflicted. Like, he he wanted to care for Harry, but he hated him because he reminded him so much of James, who had stolen his love away. It was just so heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, such a good, just read the books, Ben Flanagan, you stupid turd. Just read them. They're so good. I'm, I, I was, I've been thinking to myself, I'm probably going to start over again here. Again, wow. Yeah. All right, well, uh, should we wrap up? I don't know. I feel like I've, I've, uh, dominated it. What were your, you liked it? Yes. No, I would say I didn't enjoy it as much as most of the other Harry Potter movies, but I am satisfied. I feel like they did a good enough job. Yeah. I just, I'm crippled. I guess you're right. You are crippled crippled by by how much, I mean, but I was even not really like, I wasn't really even looking forward to this, you know, because I I just knew it was going to fall short and, you know, Nothing will live up to, you know, that thump when you hear your pre-ordered, you know, book seven land at your door, you know, in 2000, whenever that was, 2008, that, you know, like, I I just have never been as enamored with the movies. I certainly appreciate, you know, the faces that they put to the names and, you know, it just, I I knew, like, she wrapped this up so, it was such a satisfying ending in a book. There's no way that the movie will just ever touch that experience of having read the book and it, and discovered it that way. Ben well, Flanagan. You're after Ben. For I am after Ben because he also, we we happened to see him last night and he told us that he's not planning to read the books. That's right. What a fool. What a fool. Send us money and then we'll see. But maybe I'll change yeah. my tune, Ben. Well, thanks again to Craig Hamilton for sponsoring this podcast. Right. And, uh, and Rave Motion Pictures, the ball is in your court. Yeah, we're waiting, Rave. We, we love you, Rave. We we enjoyed seeing Craig you has upped the ante. Ten fifty in the morning on a on a Friday. So why don't you uh, I just throw some free tickets? We were not that d bag who was yelling at the poor high school girl because the time was five minutes off in the newspaper. That's we were right. not that guy. We, we were the people who were politely buying our tickets with no complaints. So. Your move, Rave. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we will see you again pretty soon, probably, because we've got another one in the works. This is disgraceful. No, it's okay. Look, we're... 22 minutes and it was Harry Potter. I'm not not back to my fighting weight yet, so we'll we'll get there. But... uh, We are planning... We should say... We should have another one coming up very soon. That's what I was just saying. Oh, I wasn't listening. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But we'll have... We'll we'll have more to come... uh, Pretty pretty quickly here, so stay tuned to filmnerds.com. And then we'll be having a baby, and then we'll probably go dark yeah. for like five months. Yeah, probably. So <laughs> enjoy it while you can. So thanks again, everybody, and thank you, Francesca. Well, thank you, Matt. Bye. Bye. Bye.